My name is Pete. I'm an alcoholic. Hello, Pete. Uh, by the grace of God and the fellowship of this program, I have been sober since November 6 of 1987. Awesome. Thanks. I, and before I start, I need to clarify a little something of what Paul said. There you go. Now, Keeping me honest. Now, we were at the dinner. Now, you guys all know Paul, and you know he's a pretty outgoing, gregarious kind of character, fun to be around, you know, never always happy. And we're, uh, we are having dinner. He got that part right. And he was drinking coffee at 8 o'clock at night. And I was suspicious at a coffee drinker at 8 o'clock at night, especially if they're consuming larger quantities of it. <laughs> And uh, he does go to pay, and the chip falls out. And I didn't say anything. That was, he didn't get that right. Okay. But he looked up at me, and he was in terror. I said, he was in terror, right? And, of course, I, I go, what is that? Whatever it was, what is that, right? I knew exactly what it was, because everybody knows what that sound is, right? That's true. <laughs> And for just about 10 seconds, boy, his butt was puckered up in that chair like you wouldn't believe. And I said, it's okay, I'm a friend of Bill's, happy to meet you. I want to say we even probably got up and gave each other a hug, maybe, at, at that point. And i got to tell you what happened from that uh, instance. Our relationship, it was a business relationship, but in that moment, he became a brother. It was... Something happens when there's two alcoholics and everything else goes away. Everything else goes away. And I'm just, I love you, man, and I'm, I'm just really lucky to know him. Thank so, you. thank you, and thank you for the opportunity. If you hear something good, it's probably from God. If you hear something you don't like, it's probably from my ego. So you can just disregard whatever. <clears throat> so... I am in Las Vegas, and at the time I'm selling one-hour photo labs. You guys remember those? You brought your film in, get them processed in an hour. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got on the show floor. We were at a convention. I got on the show floor, and one of my coworkers is saying, Pete, do you, do you need a Tic Tac? And I go, Why do I, what do I have, bad breath? Right? No oh, man, it's, it's alcohol, right? So it's 8 in the morning, and I'm still breathing out that. I don't know if I slept that night, maybe a couple of hours. I remember looking at this big piece of equipment, watching it just kind of move and spin on the floor. About noon, uh, the VP comes up to me and said, uh, Pete, you really need to stop, you need to stop your drinking. And in my industry, it's a small industry, that, that was pretty major. And he was serious. He said, this is it. You can't, you've got to stop your drinking, right? I mean, this is one instance. I go, okay, man, I can get it under control. At this point, I had no idea what I was up against. I didn't know that I was an alcoholic, even though I, I actually had a two-week stint in AA in college. And I actually went to AA in high school, believe it or not. And I, I went in AA after, just trying to control the drinking, right? But I didn't know 
anything about alcoholism, really. And so I had a plan. And my plan was there was an old couple from Colorado Springs. Now, at the time, I'm uh, 20, probably 26 years old. So old is about my age now. So there's, there's an old couple, a husband and wife, from Colorado Springs, and they were really religious, and they wanted to talk about this equipment I was selling. I said, how about I take you out to dinner, right? And they go, boy, we'd really like that. I'm thinking, religious old people will go out to dinner. I'll, I'll control it tonight. Everything's going to be okay. That's my plan. So as a few of you have been to Vegas, there used to be a place called Hooker's Hollow. It was at the Hilton, the steakhouse right outside there. I said, meet me at the steakhouse. Met at the steakhouse. I felt pretty good because I, I remember I had to tip the mater D to get in. I thought I was big, you know, oh, fuck, tip the mater D, walk in, get my seat, right? We sit down. The husband goes, and guess what he orders? He orders my favorite drink. He orders a Long Island iced tea. Mr. Religious orders a Long Island iced tea. This lady over here orders a glass of mine, gets to me, I'll have a Long Island iced tea. I had another one. They had a couple more. We're having fun. We go out to the bar. At this point, I didn't know what was going on, but the craving was ignited, right? I mean, there's no stopping me at this point. And I remember the, the waitress was coming with our round of drinks. It was like she was walking in slow motion to get over to the table where we had the drinks. And as she was walking up, I reached up, grabbed it, and the drinks went all over my customers. And I go, fuck! And they looked at me with horror. And they said, I think it's time we go. And I go, you don't have to go. We can get more drinks. And they, they, they just got up and left. That, they left. That was it. Well, the rest of the night, I couldn't stop drinking. Got in a lot of trouble in Vegas. I woke up at, uh, I didn't wake up. I got back to my hotel room about 3 in the morning, and I had a half drink Long, Long Island iced tea. And I remember I was sitting on one side of the room, and I looked on the other side of the room, and I just looked at it, and I said, it's God. That's, that's God. That I, there was nothing I could do. I, I was, I said, I got to go back to AA. That's what I did. And I remember sitting in the airport and having a, Cranberry juice saying, okay, this is it. I'm done drinking. This is definitely it. And I called my boss and I said, I'm leaving. He said, well, what about all your customers? I said, I saw them all. I got to go. He probably knew I was screwed up. I, you know, he did know I was screwed up. And I went to AA. I got off the plane. I drove directly to AA. I went in. And I remember sitting down. And it felt so good. It felt so good. I was, a, I was like terrified they were going to kick me out, like throw me out. 
Like, they're going to get on. They're going to figure me out and tell me I have to go, you know? And I was just so thankful to be sitting with all these people. I, I didn't hear what they said. I was just there. And I was so used to being alone. I was drinking alone by this time because um, everybody was gone. Even my parents had nothing to do with me. Uh, I'm sure this a lot of Thanksgiving was a Swanson dinner, you know, that that was it, you know, no Christmas cards, no nothing, right? So I heard these things. I heard 90 meetings in 90 days, change your playmates and playpens, put the plug in the drug, just don't drink no matter what. You don't hear a lot of these things a lot anymore. And I could do more than 90 meetings in 90 days in Denver, Colorado. I actually could do a noon. I could do a 3 p.m. at our mother house. I could do a 5.30, go eat dinner. I could do an 8.30 and then a 10 p.m. And that's exactly what I did. And I would eat with my AA friends. I went to AA parties. I had no regular friends. I changed everything. I did this for 87 days. On the 87th day, I was in an AA meeting. I just said, F it. I didn't say it out loud. I said it in my mind. And I got up, straight to the liquor store, out of an AA meeting. And it was a Korean or a Chinese guy. He says, where you been? You used to be our best customer. <laughs> it's kind of pissed me off a little bit. I got Rot Watney's Red Barrel, because somebody said that's a sophisticated beer. I never had it. And I had a 30-pack of Strohs right behind it. And I went home and I started. <clears throat> Next night, I went to AA to tell them how screwed up they are and that I knew what was better and blah, 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 blah. Then I got, uh, I started to get terrified, really terrified. I ended up going back into AA. I was still doing more than 90 meetings in 90 days. And I started to look at the steps on the wall, like these have to have something to do with something. But where and when I sobered up, just the club I sobered up in, nobody talked about writing inventory. Nobody talked about amends, or certainly not 10, 11, and 12. I know it sounds crazy because I've heard people in this group, right? That's not this kind of group. There was nothing. It was just put the plug in the jug. Well, if I could do that, I would be doing that. If meeting makers make it, I would have made it. I needed something more. I knew that. So a guy said, Pete, you, you probably should start these steps. I said, have you, have you done them? And he said, no, but there was something online. And he handed me an inventory, which it had a checkmark inventory. You got, some of you guys have probably seen it. He had it in a notebook. He says, I think you should do this inventory. And I got it offline. He printed it out for me and put it in a three-ring binder. 
and I went through it, you know, I'm angry at mom, affects, you could just check, affects my self-esteem, right? I just check them. I put who I'm angry at, but, you know, and not even why, and just write check marks, right? And my, I had nothing. It wasn't my part. I didn't have any part in this. And so I put all that in there, and then there were, I said, so he said, you got to read that to somebody. I go, well, maybe I should read it to you. No, no, I don't think so. You got to find somebody else. So there was some bad stuff in there. So I found a guy, his name was Harold Katz, God bless his soul. And uh, he had, he was 87 years old. And at the time he had about 40 years of sobriety. I remember going over to his house. He had a hot plate and a little doggy, right? And I remember there was something, I wanted to be just like him, right? I wanted to be like him. I, I was like, God, why is he so serene? What's up with that, you know? Well, I read this inventory to him, right? Oh, by the way, he had, he had numbers. He was in one of the camps. So he was, he was a really... Definitely a spiritual man. Um, and I read this inventory to him. I go, well, what about those amends? And he said the most glorious thing that any alcoholic could hear, you'll, you'll do them, you'll get around to them. Something to that effect. I go, oh, great. I'll, I'll get around to them. That sounds good. Now that little bit of work kept me sober. What happens is I, I met a coworker in AA, kind of like Paul and I, and I asked him where he goes to meetings. He said, I go to meetings over here. I went to meetings over here, and they're talking about stuff in the big book. They're talking about how they write inventory or how they make amends. And, oh, these people are speaking a foreign language. It was... It was like unbelievable. And I started listening to this stuff, right? I'm probably about nine months, maybe a year sober. So I started taking what they were, their experiences, and give it all out to the, to the group I was going to, right? Now, when you have a year of sobriety in the group, I, I'm an old timer. And so I go over here. I did that for about six months. I started sponsoring guys, right? I had five guys that I was sponsoring at the time. Started a new meeting. The new meeting was attended by average of 60 people, right? And I was just kept doing this. And then probably two years sober, I'm sitting on the steps of York Street. I was on probation at work. I'm having an affair on my wife. I just had a kid. I got married at 90 days sober. I left that out because I thought maybe that'll fix something, right? It didn't fix nothing, right? Uh, and I'm sitting on the steps of York Street, and one of my sponsees came, saw me. And he, he goes like this. Pete, are you okay? Sponsee, are you okay? 
Oh, I'm fine, man. But I was not okay. I was not okay. I was this close to drinking. Once again, this close to drinking. Never, never did an ounce of work. Never did anything. Just stole from these people who did work and throw it over here. Like I had done something, right? It was all a lie. It was all a con. I went up to a 10 p.m. meeting that night. A guy heard me. And he walks up to me and he says, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to live the way you're living. He didn't talk to me about alcohol or he just said, you don't have to live the way you're living. I go, how did he know? I mean, how could he possibly know, right? I'll tell you how he knew because he had entered the world of the spirit and I had not entered the world of the spirit. I was just a sober, dry, hideous, dry as an old mattress drunk. So that was. And I said, well, you know, I know a little bit about the steps. He said, we'll just do a little review. Oh, yeah, that's good. I could just handle a little review. So we sat down, we started reading the book and talking about permanent sobriety. And we got to that part about on page 18 that the man who was making the approach has had the same difficulty, no attitude of being holier than, uh, than thou, nothing whatever except the sincere desire to be helpful, blah, 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 you know, how you find a sponsor. And it dawned on me that it was dishonest to be sponsoring those people without a solution, which is exactly what I was doing. I said, do you think I should be working with these other guys? I mean, I hear that when all else fails, go work with another alcoholic. He says, that's after you've had a spiritual experience. You haven't had a spiritual experience. You know, I, so I went back to all those guys. Three of them were drinking already. One guy said, Pete, I already found another sponsor. And I can't remember what happened to the other guy. But I stopped right then. We started going through the steps and I was really, I was struggling with things like people would say, I got a DUI. Well, I never got a DUI. So I would go, well, then maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Or I crashed my mom's car, or I crashed the fifth car, or I ended up in the hot. No. No. I didn't know what an alcoholic was couple of years in AA and I didn't know whether I was an alcoholic. So I started looking at it and looking at the craving and I look back in my life about what happened when I started drinking. And it became clear that when I made a decision to control the amount I took, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Not all the time, I found out the craving, for me, didn't have to happen all the time. In fact, our big book says it's a rage, just like uh, the power of choice. Sometimes I can choose not to take a drink. Other times, I can't. I'll, I'll give one more example, which probably puts it all together. This was 
before uh, this Vegas experience. <clears throat> I was, uh, my girlfriend was cutting me off. I had no gas in my tank. Uh, Fuji was coming out to interview me at, at Lotel Sofitel. Did I tell you this story? This is an honest to God true story. I stayed, I didn't drink too much that night. I kind of kept it under control, got to bed. Our appointment was, I think, at 12 or 12.30. I can't remember the exact timing. But I didn't want to be late, so I got out to the hotel early. So I got out there maybe 11, 11.30, something like that. It must have been 12.30 was my appointment. I'm out there, I'm walking around, I'm, you know, looking in the gift shop, and I just, I just walk by the, the bar, and he's, he's shining the glasses and hanging them up over the top. Go, hi man, I got another half hour. I'm just going to go sit in the bar, right? I, I'm telling you the truth. I had no intention of drinking there. I have a job interview that my life depends on with the company I always want to go to work for in about a half hour. So I go down, I sit at the bar. Man, nobody can smell vodka tonic on your breath. <laughs> right? Okay, give me a vodka tonic. Boy, I'm running out of time already. Give me a vodka tonic. Gives me the vodka tonic, and it was a little small straw. Oh, that kind of, right? Really hard to suck that, right? But I did, and I go, oh, I just need, I need something to take the edge off. Give me a Long Island iced tea. Gives me a Long Island iced tea. It had the big straw. You can drink it just like iced tea. It was great. Give me one more, and I'll be where I need to be. And he did. Got it done. I'm ready for my interview. It's all good. I'm fine. I can walk. I feel like I'll be happy, jovial. We sit down, meet him. I don't know if he could smell the booze on my breath or not, but we sit down. He says, what are you getting? I said, I'm getting a popover, which if you don't know what a popover, it's a French pastry. It's hard on the outside and kind of soft on the inside. He says, what's a popover? And I said, you don't know what an effing popover is? Only I didn't say effing, I said. Right? <laughs> I didn't get the job, right? But I went in that bar with no intentions of drinking, certainly made a decision to just have one vodka tonic, and craving was ignited, and nothing was stopping me. That's the way it works. That's what our book says. It has nothing to do about what I did, any, nothing. It's irrelevant. Can I stop myself from taking the first drink? If I can, I don't need to be in Alcoholics Anonymous. If I can make the choice not to pick up the first drink, I don't need alcohol. Why do I need God? There's no reason to. Absolutely no reason to. Rational Recovery tried that. This is all, this God thing is just, a, right? I don't need it. Now, some people look just like alcoholics. They drink like alcoholics. And the doctor can say, if you drink again, you're going to die. Well, those suckers will stop. I've seen it happen. And they may even go to AA and hang out in AA. 
But there's guys like me that the doctor says you're going to die. All right. Doesn't matter to me. This doesn't matter. I need to drink. Even today, no alcoholic ever recovers control. Ever. That's what my big book says. But it also says, if I choose to drink, I cannot. says it twice. That's how powerful a spiritual experience has been in my life. Sounds crazy? I never have a choice in drink. I don't. And the people who wrote the big book don't. So anyhow, I started to see this. And I became clear about what I was up against. And I hoped there was a God. And we looked at the second step. And we agnostics makes it really, really easy to approach God. It did for me. Because I had a lot I had a lot of egg on my face. And God had nothing to do with me. Nothing. But AA had a way to approach him. That I could go there with egg on my face. We did the third step. I went over to his house this is after a couple of months. Uh, this isn't the new, the guy who's giving me the refre- kind of refresher course, but he taught me in spades. I, I never cracked the book. I knew nothing about recovery, right? And I'm, now it's becoming like some sort of beautiful journey, you know? So I go over to his house. I remember I said, oh, man, this is third step day. He comes up, and I was on his step to meet him, and he opens up the book and says, okay, we thought well before taking this step. He says, so you go home tonight, and you think well before you're... I was so pissed off. I already had my plans, and my. I'm going to do... Right? It's always that way, right? Always that way. I came back the next day, and he said, okay, we went over some, uh, you know, the, the deals about the third step of he is the father, we are his children, he's the principal, we are his agent. We went over all that stuff, kind of considered it. And he said, okay, uh, if you want to do this, we're going to get on our knees and we're going to hold hands and I'm going to say a prayer. Right? And it was a different time. I didn't really want to hold his hands, but I was going to do it because my, my only option was to drink again, really. really to die. I've left a lot of stuff out. It was die or do this hand holding. (laughs) So we got down on our knees. I held his hands and he started to say the prayer and two things happened. The first thing, I don't know what happened. I can't describe what happened. But I can tell you something happened. And I got all done, and I go, my head had shut off. Really, for the first time in my life, my head had shut off. It was quiet. It was at peace. I, I never felt anything like it. It was like my head was always a etch-a-sketch of plans and designs and what I'm going to do. And quiet, just with the peace of God. That came out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I sat on the couch. We sat there for a few minutes. And he says, his name is Jim. 
He said, did you feel something? And I go, yeah, yeah. And he says, do you want to make it permanent? I go, yeah. He flips the page. He says, at once, we started out on a course of vigorous action, which involved, right, writing, you can read it. It's right on the other page, right? He says, I want you to go home and buy a tablet and start writing, right? That was it. There was no wallowing in this reprieve. I went home, I bought my tablet, and I started writing my list. That's what I did. And this time, it was a real list. He says, I just want you to write names. That's what I did. Then I wrote the second column. Then I wrote the third column, fourth column. I read that to him. Got done. Did my six and seven step. Um, I did it in a church. My six and seven. I reviewed the first five proposals. I've known guys that have actually built shelves on the wall so they can take their book down from the shelf. Okay, I didn't do that, but... To each his own. I know people have done it. So I just got my book off the desk, went to the church, reviewed the first five proposals. I looked over my work. Was it thorough so far? Did I leave anything out? I think I'd left something out, and I called them up, and I I can't remember what it was. You know, it was a little while ago. And um, did my uh, sixth and seventh. And then started, I wrote cards out for my, for my um, amends. So I had 126 amends I had to do. And, and what I did is I put the, uh, the name or in the phone or address. Uh, I put a plus if I'm willing to make the amend or minus if I wasn't. And I put the exact nature of the harm. So... Uh, it, when I went to make amends, I would stay on my side of the street. And I'd be clear, you know, I wouldn't go over on their side of the street. So I will share a couple of amends stories. I am not embellishing these stories at all. So one of the things I did, I was having an affair uh, on my wife. And... I had two friends uh, that were in AA, husband and wife, and they knew the girl I was dating who was in AA, and they knew my wife. I never told them not to say anything, but I certainly, I think everybody would agree, I put them in an uncomfortable position. And even though my sponsor told me you never make a dual amend, you always make an individual amend, I said, it's the exact harm. I didn't, why, they're married. I can do this one a double dual amen, right? I make my appointment. I go over. Now, the lady had 16 years in Alcoholics Anonymous. And at the time, I, I think I had somewhere around three at this point, right? She has 16. So if you guys can remember, somebody with 16 years was like, whoa, whoa. They're like gurus, right? Anybody over 10 was a guru, right? And uh, I go over, knock on their door. I sit down and I lay out. I said, I won't won't get over my drink until I do my best to set 
things straight. I'd put you in an uncomfortable position, and uh, this is what I would do to make. And I'd broken up with my, actually, it was over with my wife. I'm still dating her. And I said, I won't put you in that position again. I said, what can I do to make this right? The guy says, Pete, it's all okay. It's, you know, we don't feel that bad, blah, blah, blah. The woman picks up her finger and she says, don't you ever make a joint amend. You go home, you call me, I deserve my own amend. And I'm not forgiving you until you do it. <laughs> okay, all right. I go home. Now, we didn't have cell phones, right? This is back in 19... There was no cell phones. I go home, and the light is blinking. It's 20 minutes away. The light is blinking on my answering machine. I go pick it up. Call me. I won't use her name just in case. I don't, even, I don't think she's still alive, but she might be. And call me right away. Okay. So I call her up. She says, I want you to meet me at this club in 20 minutes. And I go, okay, I've never been at this club. It was, uh, well, you guys don't know where it's at. It doesn't matter. I go find this club. It was really hard to find. She said, meet me at the picnic table down the hill. So I find, I, I see the picnic table. I get to the club. I go down the hill. I sit down. I pull out my cart. She goes, stop. The amend was okay. I go, oh, okay. And she goes, I bought the bullets this morning. I bought the gun last week. I was going to kill myself. I've never had an amend from anybody in Alcoholics Anonymous before. Will you please tell me how you got this? Yeah. This is not about my intellect. It's about the will of God. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous... It's not about staying sober. It's about the will of God. And if I do the will of God, then when I choose to drink, I can't drink. It's happened. I can share stories with that, but I don't have time. So I'll share one more... Share one more men's story. Just because they're kind of cool, you know. So I had to go back to Min I grew I did all my drinking in Minneapolis. So I went back to Minneapolis to make amends to my uh, family and ex-girlfriend. And I'd stolen like little shit from every store I ever bit. I even had a library book from my high school and said, I got go make amends for that, right? Which I did. I made I made them all. I made every one of them. So I'm uh, at my old grade school stomping grounds and I'm going to go see my best friend. I can't remember what, what I did to him, but I, I know it was probably bad. And um, I went to go get a Coke and I went to an old place that we used to, it was called Kennesaw Drug was where uh, I used to hang out. It was a little drug store, not on the corner, but I go, oh, Kennesaw Drug, I'll go there and get a Coke. So I walked in and I remember when I was a kid, I used to go there and steal testers' paints. Remember those, those little paints for painting models? And I'd have, um, I'd have cowboy boots, and I'd scrape these paints into my cowboy boots. 
So I probably stole, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 of them. I don't, I don't know the exact number. I figure certainly 20 bucks. They're probably 10 cents with inflation. They're now 20 bucks, I kind of figured, right? So I walked in. There's a lady behind the counter, a, a young girl. And, you know, I'm 30 years old, right? And uh, I go, is Mr. Kennesaw here? Who? You, the, the guy who owns your, you mean the old man? No, he's dead. And I go, is there a manager here? No, there isn't a manager here. And at this point, she's probably getting a little scared because she's the only one there asking these weird-ass questions. Nobody's ever asked her. And I go, listen, can I talk to you for a second? She's like, yes. And I, I laid it out. And I said, okay, when I was young, I stole these testers. I need to give you this 20 bucks. She goes, I have no way of putting this in the register. I, my, my register will be off. I can't take your 20 bucks. Well, what they taught me is if you, you know, if it's stolen money, it's got to get paid back. That's what my, my lineage uh, believes. So I said, what's your favorite charity? She said, children's leukemia. What the hell is children's leukemia? Nobody was talking about children's leukemia. You know, I'd never even heard of it. Okay, children's, I'll find out where those people are, right? So I get all done. I walk over to my best friend's house, knock on the door. He lived in an apartment, opens the door. He says, hey, Pete, hey, before we get going, Rachel is collecting for children's leukemia. Do you want a gift? It was a pink can like we have, our pink cans. That's an honest, is that... No, it was just a coincidence, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it wasn't, it wasn't, no. No, it was just a coincidence. I put my 20 bucks in there and I was free. So what happened is I don't look over my shoulder anymore. I can go anywhere. I can go to work. I can look at my boss because I haven't stolen off the expense account. I can go here. I can go talk to this person because I haven't lied to him. Or if I have, I've gone back and I've said, I lied to you, which really sucks. I haven't done that in a long time. I just don't like the pain anymore. I can't tell you, I can't tell you what 10 and 11 and 12 has done in my life. I can't tell you the friends I've gained, like Paul. I have lots of Pauls in my life. I can't tell you the joy of the sponsees and watching them grow up being unemployable, absolutely unemployable, and, and could never even approach a, a relationship. Now have families and kids and are respected and productive at their jobs. This, this program has been utterly miraculous. I'll share one more Arizona story. Because I did say, even though I choose to drink, I cannot. And I'll leave you with this. I am at the Biltmore. We all know where the Biltmore is. This happened around 10 years sober. I was at some sort of convention. It was hot because this, these cheap people would only do it in the summer here. 
So at the convention, it was a tough day. It was uh, just a meeting. And I went back to the hotel room. And they had the bars in the hotel rooms. You know, the, you open them up, they had the clear doors, the little fridges. And they had a Miller Dark. And I never had a dark beer. I mean, they, they must have came. I never had a lot of cool stuff that they got now. But it was a dark Miller. And I remember it, it showed droplets on the outside of the can. I go, and it, I was not in fit spiritual condition either. I want to tell you this. I wasn't in the best spiritual condition. And uh, I pulled it out. And not only was there graphic water droplets, but then water droplets start forming on the outside of the can. And it just looked like a commercial. And I said, I wonder what it smells like. I just want to smell it. So I, right? And one of those little golden drops was on the edge of that. And I remember, right? Oh. I could almost feel the ease and comfort. I could almost feel it, right? And just like that, to the drink. I don't think I did that. I really don't. I think I made a decision to drink. People can disagree with me. But it went out. That's happened a couple of times in sobriety. Yep. That's the only way I could have stayed sober. I want to thank you all for being here. I hope I gave you something you can chew on or at least fight about after the meeting. So thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me, Paul.